0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. So our text this morning is going to be Ezra chapter 9, amen? So, you know, how many of y'all are, are you know, familiar with the text of Ezra? Amen, raise your hand. Well, I'm going to give you a backdrop of what's going on with Ezra. For about a hundred years, not a hundred, but almost a hundred years, Israel has been under persecution. It's been a century of loss, a century of, of, of abuse, a century of servitude, and eventually just a century of slavery. And so, many of you might say, well, why, how in the world can God's people go through such a thing for a hundred years? Well, we're going to dive into it in the text, but, it's due to because of their sin, because of their idolatry, because of how they had moved away from God, and God had already told them. Should you move away from me and have your hearts turned against me, then my fierce wrath would be upon you. So starting with the Assyrians, they, they started being tribute payers. They had to pay of 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 what they had and it, it left them it left them without much. Eventually they rejected that and said, We're not going to pay anymore. So they started attacking them, and then finally they enslaved them. And then came the Babylonians. That was about, with the Assyrians, about 20 years that they went through that. And the Babylonians came and they just took them over. They took them over, burnt the city, burnt the temple, burnt the walls, enslaved all the people and sent them all across the world. And left only the beggars, only the elderly, only the feeble in the land of Israel with burning gates and a burnt temple. So, we come to Ezra where God begins to move, amen? Aren't you glad God don't leave us in ruins? Aren't you glad that, I'm, I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where the gates were fire. I've had times in my life where there was just absolute loss, and it was because of my sin. But thank be to God He doesn't leave me there, amen? Because I'm called with a purpose. I'm called by God, amen, according to His purpose, and He's faithful when I'm faithless. He's faithful when you've been faithless. So I don't know where you come to where you come to this church this morning, where you, whether you come being faithful or you, you can hang or you're hanging your head because of your last mistake. God's bigger than your last mistake. God's bigger than your last sin. God's bigger than the last destructive thing that you saw in your life. God can rebuild. Amen. And in Ezra, he begins to rebuild a nation. He begins to restore to him a chosen generation. Amen. He begins to restore something that had been laying in waste for a hundred years. And to do it, he called forth Cyrus. He called forth Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 44, 150 years before he existed. Do y'all know who Cyrus is? Cyrus is the grandson of Esther. Do y'all remember the story of Esther? Remember remember how the Lord used her to deliver Israel with the king of Persia? Well, Cyrus is the grandson of Esther. So Esther's work in the book of Esther went way deeper, way deeper than just being a queen that saved Israel for, for an hour. She saved Israel for generations and then for a thousand years to come. Amen? Even under the, the Roman rule, her legacy, her ministry... Her calling was greater than she ever thought at that moment. And Cyrus was the, the leader that God had called 150 years prior. My servant have I called, Cyrus, who was going to now move across Israel, set them free out of slavery, rebuild the temple, establish His covenant with them, establish worship, amen? Set up the wall of protection around Israel. So we've come into the, the book of Ezra. And and, and and the prior chapters, the, the temple has been rebuilding and, and worship has been established. But how many of you know that it's not enough for just a temple to be raised? It's not enough for just the seat of God's authority and the seat of God's Shekinah glory to be placed. But there has to be a people that's receptive to such things. And see, unlike us today who have a free Access to God, says in the book of Hebrews. We have free access like dear children entering into the presence of God. Unlike us, Israel had a law that they had to obey, had rituals that they had to obey, had, had God's uh, uh, rituals that they had to complete to be holy unto Him. But there's a problem here. The temple has been erected, but the people haven't been set apart. So that's where we come into Ezra chapter 9. God began to speak this word to me two months ago. A word, personal word for myself, and I believe this is a personal word to the body of Christ at large. So let's read. Ezra chapter 9, starting at verse 1. says this, When these things were done, the leaders came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of Israel. Of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the, At- and the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they, well, he's saying this there's a problem here. There is no distinction between Israel and the lands around them, there's no distinction between the holiness of God. And the corruptness and the vileness and and, and the paganism and and, and just the terrible demonic idolatry around them. There is no separation. What a statement. There is no separation between the people of God and the people of satanic worship. What a statement. And he says this, verse 2, For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the people of those lands. They've married men that were Jebusites, Amorites. They've married women, and they've had children, and they've created homes with these. And you might be asking yourself, well, what's wrong with that, Brother Nick? There's there's something terribly wrong with that. You see, Israel isn't just a people That worships God. Israel is the bride of God. She is literally God's bride. He loves her. He espoused her in the wilderness. He's hers. He's hers. Amen. She's his. And to be married to the pagans around them, to have participated in child sacrifice, to have participated in human sacrifice, to have participated in the prostitute all the prostitute priests and house of of harlots that that, that surrounded worship of of other gods to participate in that and not to be distinctive out of any of it. You can say this, that Israel was playing the harlot on her husband God. And that's how come they were in a hundred years of judgment. But now God is moving. And they're, they're saying that there's a problem though. We got to do something with, with, with what's going on. She hasn't distinct herself. She hadn't made herself distinctive from my presence to what's around her. Because she's married, those of the land. Why don't you turn to me to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 through 8. For those of you who think, well, that don't sound too bad. God prophesied this hundreds of years before this ever happened. He said this. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 says this, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Gergeshites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites, does that sound familiar? And the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them, you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they, listen to this, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. To the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. They're in black and white, things. You see, there's a greater purpose for Israel. There's a reason why they were subject to a hundred years of of judgment. There's a reason why, and God's not done with Israel. I know that we are now those that were not part of the original vine, but we've been engrafted in, praise God. I thank God that they rejected Christ so that we can be part of the family. But God's not uh, done with Israel yet. Amen? He's going to come, and He's going to establish them at, at the latter times. Amen? But there's a greater calling for Israel that they didn't ever ever understood. They were supposed to be the example of the preciousness, of the greatness, of the purity, and the holiness and righteousness of who God is on the earth. They were to show the other nations what it is, the truthfulness of God, and what it looks like to be His emissary, to be those that represent Him. But they never took it with the gravity that it was. I'm here to tell you, saints, our job here it's to be the ambassadors of faith. To be literally the figurehead of who God is. The figurehead. The man, the woman, the children of God to show this world who He is. When you go out in public and what you say with your mouth, what you do with your hands, what you do in your relationships supposed to be a direct reflection upon the holiness and righteousness of who Jesus is. So my question to you is, God's question to me was, what kind of example are you today? When people see you, and they hear you, and they see what you do with your hands, they see how you be with your wife, do they see Christ? Do they see Jesus? Do they see the righteousness of God? Or do they see no distinctive difference between you and this present world? Because it's getting harder and harder to understand in a crowd who is saved and who is not. It says this in verse six of Deuteronomy chapter seven it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Speaking to Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not send his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Amen? They're a special treasure. God chose them. He's chosen you. Scripture says... It says this in First Peter 2, verse 9. It says, For you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own what? Special people, special treasure, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness, out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. How many of you did God call out of the land of bondage? Amen. Double hands, feet, everything for me. Thank God and didn't leave me in bondage, amen? Because I was left, I was in bondage. By my own making, I was shackled. I couldn't move. But God came in the darkness of my hour, amen? And said, live and not die. Be set free today. It was a jail cell of pornography. I was playing two worlds. I was a worship leader in church ministry. Like these wonderful people did this morning. And all the time, back in the day, before we had so much the internet, going to porn shops and being just in all that junk, that mess. My wife didn't know anything about it. My friends didn't know anything about it. It was a double life. I was shackled in the house of bondage. But God found me, amen? Yes. So my question to you is, let me, let me keep reading here. It says this. Verse 10. Who wants... of First Peter chapter two verse ten: Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God; who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the days of visitation. So I ask you again, what does the world see? Do they see the good works? Do they see the honorable conduct? Some of you might be saying, well, brother, that sounds awful. You know, like you're going by the law. That sounds awful like you're trying to do this by works. No. Is there a want to? I'm talking about a want to. Where if a man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new and all things are of God. Amen. There's a want to. When was the last time you wanted to do the things of God? When was the last time you wanted to suffer persecution because of who Christ is in your life? When was the last time you said, God, Lord, I just want to preach the gospel lest I die. Because there's a want to. Because there's a newness. Amen. There's a new man resides in you. When was the last time there was a want to? look like the body of Christ. There was a want to so that everyone around you can say, I need life. I need an answer. And they could look to you and say, I see something different about you. When was the last time you had a desperate, desperate want to? Because when you got Jesus, you got the want to. When you're walking for the Lord, you have got the want to. I just got to tell you, see, Jesus set 12 men on fire with the want to. And said that they burned within their hearts when He spoke. And when He left, man, they were on fire, amen? Because of the want to, 12 men on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were added to the church. Because of the want to, amen, people were were set free. Demons were cast out. Because of the want to, people were healed. Because of the want to, there there was revival everywhere they walked. Scripture says, That they loved their their life. They didn't love their life unto death. Because they had a want to. The problem is, saints, and I couple myself in with this statement, is that there's no more want to in the church. I'm not talking about Lubbock. I'm, I'm not. I'm talking about abroad. There's no more want to. It's hard enough getting someone in here to to do something with the sound or do something with the visuals on time or 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 faithfully by any measure. Hard enough to get a prayer meeting with people that are faithful that aren't wishy-washy. It's hard enough to get people that look like saints at work abstaining from the conversation that's around the, the the coffee cup, all the jargon and the junk that the world spits out. It's hard enough getting a separation of what a believer should be because there's no more want to. Because maybe a little bit, of the, or maybe a lot of bit of this society has seeped into our heart. Maybe we've married the world around us. When was the last time you took issue with what's going on in your family, be it your kids? How many excuses do you make? How many compromises are we making? Israel made those compromises and it landed them a hundred years in slavery. But now the Spirit of God's moving, Amen. He's moving. Say, okay, y'all had a hundred years, but now I'm I'm raised up to Cyrus. and now I'm rebuilding the temple. I'm re- now I'm going to do something that is so desperately I am sanctifying myself, a people set apart from me. But there's a problem. You have married the ideology. You have married the worship. You have married the principles. You have married the compromises. You have married the abominations of this world around you. And it cannot stand what God is telling Israel. And I'll just say it for myself. I have married the ideology of this world. I have married the principles of this world. I have bowed my knee to the, to the corruptness of this world. And God is saying to my soul, no more. No more. You think it's easy for me to say that? It's my responsibility to pastor men and women. As I'm pastored by other men and women, it's my responsibility. I can tell you story, story, a story of marriages that are crumbling as we speak. I can tell you story upon story of young children who used to serve God in their youth, going the way of the lifestyle of LGBTQ. I can tell you story, a story. How many people are, are, are drug-infested and drug-addicted and, and alcoholics at the age of 12? How many of you have stories of loved ones who are just in bondage today? But how many times do we take issue with these? How many times do we compromise? How many times do we see someone sitting in darkness and just let it go on by Well, that's just a sign of the times. God is saying today, He's sanctifying Himself a people who wants the want to. No more people that are going to just blend in with the rest. He's going to do a work, saints. I, I, I don't want to be the bearer of brand news. I know this word is heavy, but but there's good. There, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's good to come. But but you got to get the the medicine, Amen. COVID was the beginning. If you're looking for it to get better, I don't think it's going to get better. I don't. I hope it does. The world is acting like it's going to. I don't think it's going to get better. I think there's a disaster waiting. But I believe God wants to work. Amen? I believe God wants to move. But we're all like this. Okay, God, go ahead and work and move. Go ahead. And His finger and His eyes are right on you. Say, I'm going to use you to do it. But He wants us set apart, sanctified, set on fire people to do it. Not people that are just co-mingling with everything else. It says in Romans chapter 6, turn there with me. Romans chapter 6 verse 15. 6 15 it says this, For they, what, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid, know not that when ye yield yourselves to obey... His servants are ye to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Many of y'all would say today, but I am set free. I'm a believer. I you know, I accepted Christ when I was 8 years old, when I was 12, when I was 40, when I was 60. I'm living the free life. Are you living the free life? Because my Bible tells me that whoever we yield our members to obey, His servants are ye to obey. You see, I have offered my members to pornography as a believer, and I was chained, saints. Willingly chained to where I needed Jesus to set me free again. Maybe you're like that this morning. Maybe you're chained to your phone at night when no one else sees. You're just flicking through that pornography over and over, female or male, over and over in the darkness, and where you think that you're alone, just over image after image after image thinking that nobody knows, but God sees it. And if you think God's okay with it, you're wrong. And if you think that you're okay because your wife doesn't know about it, you're wrong. The first to go are the innocent because of your actions. We become slaves in our own home because of our actions. And we call ourselves because no one else knows that we're the people of God and we are. There's a responsibility that comes with that. There's a want to that should happen because of it. There's light at the end of the tunnel, please. I'm not, I'm not mad at you. So in Ezra chapter 9, going back to our text, verse 2, the end of that of that verse says this. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers have been foremost in this trespass. The leadership were the ones that made it all. Prevalent. The leaders were the ones okaying with with you marrying those of the land. The leaders are the ones that said, "You know what? Go ahead and do it. Don't worry about it. God's grace and God's love is with you. God, you, He recognized you. Everyone is a child of God. He recognizes everyone. Doesn't matter what walk, what you know. Doesn't matter what gender you affirm. Doesn't matter you know uh, what sex that you know you love. You know God's love." Leaders said that's okay. Is that what it says? Indeed, the hand of the leaders and rulers have been foremost, foremost. They were the leaders. They were were literally making way for this. The failure of leadership. Leaders lead nations. Leaders lead the household as parents. Husbands lead their marriage. God has set leaders to govern at His will, in His image, our homes. How does your home look this morning? What are y'all watching? What are y'all listening to? What are your children affirming? Because as a leader of your household, being mom or dad, you've okayed it. You've put your stamp of approval on it. And you said, that's okay, son, that's okay, daughter. It's all right. You go ahead with it. Does it look righteous? Does it look like Jesus? Does it look like, or does it look like the rest of the world? The leadership has, has a dereliction of duty to see the gravity of what they're called for. They have a dereliction of duty by, by giving up, compromising, because they themselves, listen to this, they themselves desire something other I'm talking about Israel. Then the gilded, ivory, cedar-filled, Shekinah, glory of God, temple. They desired the abominations of pagan gods with human sacrifice, child sacrifice. They regarded the temple as old news. The glory of God for the abominations of the pagans around them. The leadership had appetites for the abominations. They they longed for the evil, twisted gratification of foreign gods and preyed upon the soulish desires of one's flesh. What will you abandon Jesus for? Have you abandoned? Well, no, brother, I haven't abandoned Jesus. Have you? Are you you serving the Lord with all of your heart? 100%. What does it look like? What does God see right now in your life? Have you fallen out of love with Him in favor of something else? Jesus said in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 25, He says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains a whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? You know, our nation... The United States is no longer a home of the free and the brave. It's no longer a nation that desires one nation under God. It's not, see. Oh, we may be able to walk out those doors, and we may be able to go do whatever we want to, but if you think this is a free nation, you are wrong. This nation is in poverty conditions, spiritually speaking. It's starting to eke out physically, because let me tell you, whatever you are spiritually, we'll begin to show physically. Uh, Israel, a hundred years of abundance was already happening on the inside. God just made it apparent on the outside. Our nation, saints, is no longer desiring the things of God. She's at war with the principles of herself, destroying the foundations of herself. And you can, It doesn't take another nation to topple our cities. We've toppled them for it, for them. Ourselves. In her zeal. For the mire mire of sin that the world wallows in, she has cast herself prey to her own passions. In our zeal, listen up, in our zeal for the mire of sin that this world wallows in, we have cast ourselves prey to our own passions. James chapter 1 verse 13 to 15 says this. James chapter 1 verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted, listen to this, when he is drawn away by his own what? Desires and enticed. I'm here to tell you, saints, whatever's got you bit, whatever's got you bound, whatever's got your attention right now, saints, it is not because of God. It's not because of anyone else. It's not because of His name. It's because you have a desire. You have developed an appetite. You have developed and been enticed by something on the inside that preys on your mind, that preys on your heart, that desires something apart from what God is. And it goes on to say, then when desire has conceived, it's so wicked, It's so demonic. It conceives and has some type of fruit, some type of child. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Remember, this is a word to me personally. My question to you is, what are your appetites tonight? This morning, excuse me. What what do you spend your time doing? I'll I'll never forget, I read a book called... uh, Worship, I think life of worship by Louis Giglio. And he said, if you follow the breadcrumbs of your life daily, where you spend your time, what you view, what you say, who you hang out with, where do they lead? Do they lead you straight to the throne of God? Do they lead you straight to the body of Christ? Do they lead you straight to your beautiful family in Jesus, or does it lead you somewhere else? Because wherever it leads you, that is where your worship is at. So my question to you is, who are you worshiping? Because wherever your time is being spent, that is your God. If Jesus and the throne of righteousness that he is in, supposedly your heart, if he is 80% at least, maybe even, let's give it 60%. But if he's just somewhere on the outside giving a token prayer, God bless my food. And that's all you ever give. That's all lip service you give to God. You've got to reevaluate where you are in Jesus this morning. You've got to reevaluate whether or not he's the center of your life or whether or not you've taken this present world, this present darkness to become your God, to become the enticing influence of your heart that will bring forth something that will be death. Ezra chapter 9, verse 3. You see, the problem is, saints, we don't have the correct view of sin. We don't. We don't. When, when you've grown accustomed to it, you've grown accustomed to all the junk that you see. You've grown accustomed to the, the murder, the violence. You've grown accustomed to the, the, the genderism, and the, especially young people. I just, my wife was just recently, uh, Spoken to by a, what's her, how old is she? Eleven? Ten? 11. A young girl saying, you know, that her sister told her and her saying, yeah, she just had a breakup with her girlfriend. We're like, your girlfriend? And she started crying. She goes, no one told me. She said, nobody told me it was wrong. She goes, my mom told me after I found out. She told me then. But before that, no one told me it was wrong. And the ten-year-old. And she was crying and she was ashamed. Grabbing on to my wife, because nobody told her it was wrong. She's beside herself. It, we get used to it. So many people are, are chanting it and living by it. We're just kind of going, agreeing with it. If you're not saying nothing to the saints, then you've agreed with it. And I'm not saying going around bashing people. I'm not saying that. But say the truth in love. It's not hard that God created man And God created a woman. It's not hard. It's a fact. It's a scientific fact. And I'm not saying that's the issue. It's not. That's one of the myriad of compromises that are not only completely foolish and completely against nature, but as a church thinks we should be the beam of light that shines truth on everything truthful, be it that or be it just the truth of God's righteousness and mercy. We have to have the correct attitude towards sin. Verse 3 says this. What time is church over here? Okay. Ezra 9 verse 3 says this. So when I heard this thing, when he heard that, that Israel had married the lands, he said, I tore my garments and my robe and I plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and I sat down astonished. I'm not bald because I pull out my own hair. But I wish I was. It's barely hitting me now that I've gotten used to sin. I've gotten used to living in a pagan nation. I've gotten used to smiling when someone trying to make a rude joke, a lewd joke, trying to say, I really don't want to talk, but I don't say nothing. He sat astonished. When was the last time you were astonished by something? When was the last time you're so into Jesus? You're so in his presence that a curse word was just too much for your soul to bear. But we bring these movies and we bring these streaming into our homes, there's nothing but the F bomb, every other word. And we watch it like it's okay. Because our hearts are far from grace. Far from the Lord. Far from the righteousness of Christ. Because we've gotten so used to it. Our attitude towards sin is so not there. It's so accepting. Because we've married the ideology of this culture. But Ezra was astonished. Then, listen to this, because of his reaction, because of who he is, the leader that God's called him to be, then everyone who trembled at the words of the Lord God of Israel assembled to meet a leader who finally had a reaction, the right reaction to sin. You see, it's not a reaction just because it's sinful against God. You can see the open wounds. You can see the, the, the decay of the people. You can see the destruction that it's caused. Let's turn on the news, saints. Sentinels pouring in, and young people are dying every single day. If there's not enough death and devastation to move you, then you are literally need to check your, your heartbeat. Because even, even the most humanistic atheist can be moved to tears for what's going on in the physical. How much more shall we be moved to tears and astonishment that it's only because what we as a nation have walked away from the Lord. But we say it's okay. As long as it's not me and mine. But what if it's already happening? What if your children are addicted to porn? What if your children are already have identified as something else because you never stood up and said, no more in my house. No more in my house. We're not going to wash that junk. We're not going to listen to that jar- jargon. We are going to set the precedent for God's spirit in my home. Not because it's legalism, but because I got the want to again. Yes. I want my house to be a house of praise. Yes. Jesus went in the temple and tore down all the money changers. You made it a dinner of fees, he said. I believe he's doing that now, saints. I believe well, he's saying enough is enough. Then everyone as Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive and sat astonished until the evening sacrifices. Verse 5 says, At the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting and having torn my garments and my robe I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, Oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. He's got the right attitude towards sin. Now he's got the right information. It is beyond him. It's beyond the people. It's beyond any human capacity to turn things around. He realizes it's got to be a God thing. Only God can come and set what's backwards straight. Only God can come and set the burning gates straight. Only God can come and set up His, 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 the center of, of temple worship. Only God can come and sanctify His people. Only God can come and erect the wall of protection. Only God can come. They are in desperate need of a move from God. Second Chronicles seven fourteen says this: If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land." It looks like this: You got to humble yourself. You got to pray. You got to seek. You got to turn away. If you humble yourself, great. If you pray, that's great. If you seek, that's great. But without turning away, nothing happens. Without repenting and going the opposite way that you were going, nothing happens. I'm not talking about just, oh God, I'm so sorry for, for doing that last night. I'm so God for viewing that, God. I'm so sorry for saying that. I'm so sorry for being part of that. It's like the next time it happens, I'm not doing that. I'm going walking away. I'm not being part of that anymore. Amen. Then... God will come. God will heal your land. In case you don't know it, your family needs healing tonight. And this morning, excuse me. It does. For you, for those of you who are older, your, your, your children are, are adults and they have children. Maybe they have children's children. They need healing. It's one thing when they're under your roof, but now they're under their own roof. One pastor said like this, whatever you do in moderation as parents, your children will do in excess. What's scary about that is that usually a generation ago, the parents were the ones on fire. But they probably began to seep in whatever movie it was, whatever, whatever. The children take that. It's not usually the, the righteousness, but it's the, just a the little bit that, that you did in moderation and they take that a whole nother level. And now we got a mess on our hands. We got grandchildren, possibly great grandchildren. And so we're like, it's impossible, right? It's impossible. We need you, Lord. Finally, we got the right reaction to sin. Finally, we got the right prayer of sin. We're too ashamed. We've humbled ourselves. Praying. We're seeking. And now he's turning away. Ezra takes ownership. You have to take ownership. Every man, every woman in this place, you've got to take ownership. There is no one free of guilt. No one free of guilt in the church today. Nobody. You've got to take ownership. You know why? Because it's only the ones that take ownership that start working in it and saying, whatever you want, God, that's what I'm going to do. That's what leaders do. And if you don't think you're called to be a leader, you are mistaken. Each one of you are a chosen priesthood, amen? A royal priesthood, a chosen people, a peculiar people. You've been chosen by God to be an ambassador for Christ, to be a leader. Verse nine, first, uh, Ezra 9, verse 7 says this, Since the days of our fathers, to this day we have been very guilty. We have been very guilty. And for our iniquities, we, our kings, our leaders, and our priests, have been lived, delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it is this day. Y'all ready for some good news? It says in verse 8, And now for a little while, now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in His holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. Isn't that amazing? There's no distinction between the, the precious and the vile. There's no distinction. But now God is saying, only I can solve this problem. Only I can, can fix this. As long as you humble yourself and pray and turn away, I will come and I will hear your land. I'm going to use you to do it. Because I've set up my temple in the middle of you. I've given you something that you needed desperately for a hundred years. I'm giving you the only thing you need. I'm giving you the only sustenance. You don't need men. You don't need uh, physical provision. All you need is my presence in the middle of your people. And it's enough to get you through whatever is going to happen. I'm here to tell you saints, I'm all you got. And I'm not talking about Bon Jovi, but all you got is a prayer. If you're living on just one prayer, it's enough to turn your world around. It's enough to turn your city around. It's enough to turn this nation around. I love what he says. He goes, he says, He's given us a peg in his holy place. You know what that means? He's given us a peg in his holy place. In King James Version says it's just a nail. It's just part of a nail in the framework of the temple of God. Don't sound like much, does it? They're saying it's just a little bit. But it's enough. You know, I'm reminded of it. You know, I don't never have played uh, a, a, a poker, you know, like poker. But you know when someone stakes somebody in poker? They give them what they need. If they need money, they stake them. Or maybe you've seen that movie Far and Away with Tom Cruise where, where they drive a stake in the ground saying, this is my land. That's what that's kind of talking about. That like God's given them just enough to hang their hopes on. God's given them just enough to understand with that small stake, it's everything they need for today and for the rest of their lives. It's everything they need to come out of a 100 years of bondage into brand new, thinking, clean life living with God. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, brother, but you just don't know. You don't know that I'm living two lives. I say, I do know, I've done it. This old preacher now that's preaching the Word shouldn't be up here preaching the Word. I probably should be dead somewhere with the people that I was hanging out with and the people that I was seeing on on a regular basis. But God gave me just enough stake, He staked me just enough of His presence to rescue me out of my situation. No man, no woman, not my wife, not my father who's a pastor, not my pastor at the time. No one could do in my life what only God could do. And I got news for you this morning. No one can do for you what God can do. Nobody. Pastor Ben can't do it. Only God will do it. And he's given you enough by his presence, by his spirit, by the Holy Ghost on fire. Hallelujah. Scripture says here in that same verse, "He pig in his holy place staked us that our God may enlighten our eyes. You know what that means? literally, set us on fire with His Holy Spirit, with the building of His temple right in the middle of Jerusalem. Right there, He has set us enough on fire. How many of y'all remember a time you were set on fire? Raise your hand. How many of y'all are set on fire today? All right. Amen. One of these days, soon, I'm going to be able to raise my hand. I can't raise my hand yet. I don't see the vileness of sin like it needs to be seen. Because my home's going to look totally different. But He will. He will set you on fire. You've got enough, amen. You're purchased, amen. You're sealed until the day of adoption, amen. You're sealed, amen. He's given you His Spirit. It's all you need. The problem is, we're looking for our sustenance, we're looking for our desire everywhere else but in His presence. And it's in His presence, it's in His will that you'll get set on fire once again. It says a measure of revival in our bondage. I'm here to tell you saints in my life the shackles are breaking off. I'm here to tell you that in my life it's coming off my family. It's coming off my wife. It's coming off my children. And I tell you, my family is coming off my, my relationships. And I'm telling you right now, saints, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about a want to looking like Jesus. I want to sound when the young people come in. They see something different. They want to ask, well, what's going on with Uncle Nick? I remember my, I was getting ready for this sermon and my brother's son came in and goes, what are you doing, Uncle Nick? Because I, I play around with him. We, we talk about foolishness all day. Yeah, that's fun. Not anything bad. Just, he's a, what, how old is he? Seven years old? I love talking to him. He makes me laugh. He's a beautiful child. So, what are you doing? I said, I'm, 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 I'm reading the Word. Why? I'm going to go preach at a church. Why? I said, because I love Jesus. He goes, You're weird. He walked off because his father, my, my brother, doesn't serve the Lord. It broke my heart. He usually will not leave my side. But he left and never came back. I pray, for, I pray for God. He should know this. He should desire to get in the Word with me. Because he loves Uncle Nick. I've wasted so much time talking about foolishness. Why don't I just talk about the Word? Show him my appetite. Well, Maybe that's a problem. He doesn't see an appetite for it. I've dropped the ball with my family with my nephew, with my niece. But God's given me a peg. He's staked me, amen? His presence. He's given me enough, amen, to turn this thing around. Not me. He's going to do it. I'm just going to say, yes, I hear. Lord, I, I humble myself. I'm praying. I'm seeking. I'm turning away. Lord, you come and you heal my marriage. You come and you heal my family. You come, you heal my city. You come, you heal my church. You come, you heal my nation. That is the word of the hour for this hour, saints. Verse 9 says this, For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage. But he extended to us, he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia, to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. God's in the business of doing a new work. But it's going to take repentance. It's going to take a coming to a truth with the Lord and saying, God, here's where I've been. I take ownership of it. I can't hide it from you. I may have been hiding it from everybody else, but I can't hide it from you. The fact that you love me, even with that, is amazing. The fact that you still want to use me because of where I've been and what I've done is amazing. And if you'll just stake me just a little bit of that trust with your spirit, if you just stake me just a little bit of the calling of, that you have for me still, and I'll take it and I'll run anywhere and I'll go anywhere that you want me to do, say anything that you want me to say, do anything, because I don't want to live like I've been living. I want to live on fire. In a a nation of bondage, I want to live free, on fire, setting at liberty those who are captive with the the gospel of Christ. Amen? Scripture says how beautiful are the feet of those who come and, and bring the good news of the gospel of Christ Jesus. It's a time that we stop saying it and not living it. What happens when the church repents and we begin to say it? I guarantee you it's going to look different. You won't be able to hold them in this church. We are in a desperate time where people need not just to hear it, but see it evident in your life. There's a God who's real. There's a better way than the junk that's in the news today in our culture. And his name is Jesus. And it looks like me. But you got to repent. I am not talking about me. I'm saying that rhetorically. But you got to repent. Bow your heads with me in prayer. If I can have the worship team up here, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. You know, I know that this word seems to be type, kind of harsh, but it's not. It's actually beautiful. It's beautiful that God is saying no more. That God's saying it's gotta, it's gotta change. That He's saying, We've gotta, I, you've got to, as a church, separate yourselves unto me. Come out from among them, be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. You know, maybe you're that one this morning. Y'all can go and start playing. Maybe you're that one this morning, and maybe you just didn't even realize until hearing these words maybe didn't even realize what you've allowed into your home maybe for the first time god's just showing you know what this needs to change or maybe god's been speaking to you this whole time and saying when are you going to stop doing that when are you going to get real and tell your brother or tell your sister and quit doing that don't you know it's destroying yourself and destroying your family Maybe God's been speaking to you all this time. And you know the shame and the condemnation in your heart, the fear that comes afterwards? That doesn't come from God's saints. Scripture says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who who walk out of the Spirit and not of the flesh. That fear, that condemnation, that Loathing, it's not from God. He wants to set you free from all that junk. Because I don't, know, I don't care where you're at this morning. I don't care how much loss, how much devastation, how many problems, how many. I don't, I don't care what it is, how bad it is. Jesus can fix it. Jesus will fix it. And when I say fix it, I mean he's going to fix it in a way where it's rags to riches, where it's loss to completely overflowing. Jesus will fix it in a way that you'll look back on it and say, how in the world did you do this? But you've got to repent. Otherwise, it's just more of the same. Otherwise, it's more of the doing, saying I'm sorry, feeling the guilt, then a little bit of the numbness, then you forget about it, then you do it all over again. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's got to stop. There's too much on the line. Your children are on the line, your spouse is on the line. There's too much on the line to be playing church. It's time to get real. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, that's you this morning. You're saying, bro, that, that's me. I need to get real with God. I, I need to repent from things that I've allowed in my home, things I've allowed into my conduct, things where I carried myself into the public eye. Why don't you raise your hand? Anybody? Amen. I see you, brother. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen, I see you, brother. My hand's raised. Is there anybody else? see you, sister. I see you. Anybody else? I see you, sister. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for your church. I thank you for your faithfulness, God. I thank you, Lord, that you do not Throw away your people. You don't just forsake us. or You don't just love us when we do good, but Lord, you love us when we were yet sinners. How much more now do you love us when we need you the most? So Lord, for every heart here, for every home that's represented here, for every family that's represented here, for the devastation of sin, that's starting to come to the surface of these homes. Lord, I pray that your Spirit might touch every heart and every mind. Lord, cause your people to once again come back, to cause your people to once again see sin for what it is, and to turn their minds and their hearts away from it, to turn our minds and hearts to you, that you might truly come, that you might truly heal our families, our marriages, our churches, our cities, our nations. But we desperately come to you. I desperately come to you. And I desire a new and living way. I desire, Lord God, to be set on fire like I did when I first loved you. I desire, Lord God, to to walk in a different cadence than what I've been walking. I desire, Lord God, to be accused of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I desire, Lord God, to be accused, Father, of being different from the rest. I desire to be accused, Lord God, of being a Christian. And for all my accusers to understand that every fiber of my being loves you and loves them enough to not only speak the truth, but to live the truth. So for every hand that's raised, God, Lord, I pray that you would work upon their life. Lord, that you would do a new work even as they repent, even as they just give up whatever it is in their life, as they repent and they give it up, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit, I ask that you come, that you invade their life, that you begin to pour out upon their life, that you begin to do a work of cleansing in their temple, that you do away with the old, that you put in the new, that you lie on fire, Lord, men and women, for your will, for those who are in sin, secret sin, and refuse to repent, Father, I pray for mercy. I pray for mercy. And I pray, Lord God, that the hour would come, that you would show them and reveal to them until and let, Lord God, before they're swept away with everyone else. Lord, I pray that every soul in this room might be set on fire. Every soul in this room might come to a reckoning that we are bankrupt without you and we need you desperately. That every soul in this room is going to be part of the cure that you're raising, restoring a nation in Lubbock, Texas. Every man, every woman, every young person, every child might be that special treasure unto you being used this great and mighty work on Boston Street here in Lubbock. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. We thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness, your presence. We thank you for second chances. Maybe you're here this morning and you never received the Lord Jesus in your life. You don't even know what I'm talking about. I want to pray with you real quick. And as I pray, you don't have to say it after me. I just want you to agree with me. Say this. Say, Jesus, I'm coming to you this morning and I'm repenting of my sin." I'm turning away from what I've I've done my whole life. Because I really don't know you. I've never really come to you. But I know it's got to be more than what I have today. I know it's got to be more, and I need you. I'm asking, Jesus, that you come into my heart, into my life, that you sit on the throne of my heart. You lead and guide me, and I will follow you. I turn my back on my sin and my past. And I choose to follow you. If you said that prayer this morning, receiving the Lord Jesus for the first time, I want you to get with the with the members here that the the young man that that did the announcements, or any of these guys that minister in this church, let them know hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. It's the best walk you'll ever, ever walk. Amen. Thank you guys. God bless y'all.